You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Keith Sanderson, animal advocate, writer, and human companion to Max A. Pooch, canine crusader for animals and the environment. Max and I thank you for joining us, and we dedicate this episode as we dedicate every episode to those amazing people who work to save the lives and or improve conditions of companion, domestic, or wild animals. Our guest today is Ken Album, and Kim is North Carolina State Director for the Humane Society of the United States. She recently spoke out about Randolph County, North Carolina's decision to again start gassing animals, saying, and I quote, It is shocking that a North Carolina county would return desperately needed funding for their animal shelter because they would rather continue a practice that has been denounced by every national humane organization. This does nothing but hurt the animals of Randolph County for absolutely no reason. When we return, we will meet Kim and learn about the Randolph County gassing controversy, how widespread gassing of shelter animals is in the United States, and how this horrific practice can be stopped. However, first, a word from our sponsors. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Introducing the new Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection, exclusively at PetSmart. I created it for the pets that rock your world. Shop the Brett Michaels Pets Rock Collection and celebrate PetSmart's 25th anniversary with up to 25% off thousands of items on the PetSmart site. Plus, free shipping on orders of $49 or more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com. That's PetSmartDeal.com. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm Keith Sanderson, and our guest today is Kim Album, North Carolina State Director for the Humane Society of the United States. Kim, welcome to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, I'm really glad to have you on because this issue about gassing of animals is really surprising to me. In fact, I was surprised when I read the news release about Randolph County, North Carolina, and the gassing of shelter dogs in that county. Can you explain the details of the controversy and update us on what's happening? Sure. The first thing I would like to say is that in 2014, it is just shocking that we're still using gas chambers in animal shelters in North Carolina. And the controversy with Randolph County is that they committed to eliminate the use of gas to euthanize companion animals in the shelter, and then they went back on that and decided they didn't want the grant, and they wanted to continue gassing. Do I have this right? They preferred to gas rather than get money to supplement their funding? Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's absolutely correct. Right now in North Carolina, we have 10 animal shelters that are still using a gas chamber, and Randolph County is one of them, and they have no intention of giving up that method of euthanasia anytime soon. 
And did they give any reason? Not to me, but I've caught different press pieces to them with them saying that it is a more humane method of euthanasia and that they don't have the staff to move to 100% euthanasia by injection. I was under the impression the horrific practice of gassing of shelter animals is no longer practiced in the United States. Is Randolph County and the other shelters you mentioned in North Carolina, are they an exception? Well, you know, right now it is still currently legal in North Carolina to use the gas chamber. So we do have these 10 shelters that are using it, and and it has become the exception in North Carolina because the majority of our shelters are euthanizing by injection and, frankly, you know, trying to remove the stigma associated with gassing animals in North Carolina, but it's a little bit hard when we still have 10 shelters that are doing it. I'm wrong, but I can't imagine the gassing of shelter animals falling under the definition of euthanasia. That doesn't seem like a humane practice. From what I've read, it's a very horrific Uh, experience. In fact, you know, occasionally animals even survive this. Is this really euthanasia or is this far worse? Well, I think that there's arguments, you know, from both camps on this, on whether or not the use of gas to euthanize animals is, you know, you know, what's more humane? Is it more humane to inject them? Is it more humane to gas them? Well, you know, anytime an animal is alone in a chamber and gasping for air before, you know, in the final moments of their life, to me, you know, let's just put the pain threshold aside. Let's just set that aside for one moment. An animal in the last moments of their lives deserves to be held, to have some level of dignity and compassion. And putting an animal inside a gas chamber is not a very compassionate thing to do. Do they put them in alone or do they sometimes just fill up a chamber? Well, our regulations in North Carolina, they're not allowed to just put animals in on top of animals loose. I believe that they can put animals into the gas chamber in individual crates you know, multiple animals at a time, which, you know, is just horrific to think about. When an animal is euthanized by injection, the animal is held and it's individually euthanized. And to me, that is so much more humane than closing them in a box in crates with other animals. Yeah, I I think you're right. I guess a good analogy would be, I certainly, if I, you know, when it comes time to, because of illness or age that uh, my dog is put down, I certainly would want to hold him and in his last moments, I certainly wouldn't put him in a crate. So I, I don't understand how, and then gas him. So I don't understand how that can be more humane by any definition of the word. Right. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, if I live in North Carolina, what can I do to voice my opinion about the Randolph County situation in support of the Humane Society? Well, I think that what people can do is contact their local commissioners and tell them, especially if they live in Randolph County, that, they, that they're taxpayers and they don't want this method of euthanasia. And, you know, and also notify their legislators, their senators and their House representatives that this practice just has to stop in North Carolina. And more importantly... I think that we need to get together to work on pet overpopulation problem in general so that regardless of the method of euthanasia, we're euthanizing less animals. And there's wonderful groups all over North Carolina that are working on just that. So, so my advice would be to connect with a local group and also talk to your legislators. Well, that's good advice. And now, if I don't live in North Carolina, how can I find out if the state I live in allows shelters to gas animals? You can check with your local ordinance in the community that you live with, check with your local animal shelter, and then check your state-level law. If you have a good relationship and know your shelter director well, go in and talk to your shelter director about it. Talk to them about the method of euthanasia that they use and what's legal and not legal in your state. 
And now, is there anything that can be done or is being done on the national level to stop this barbaric practice? I'm not sure that there's federal legislation pending at this time, but I do know that there's talk about animal advocates coming together and doing a bill in North Carolina to finally eliminate gas chambers altogether, but I don't know when that will happen. My guess would be that they will try for that in 2015. And I guess I could probably go to the Humane Society or, or other animal advocacy groups and check and see what other resources are available, you know, at my level, because things change from state to state. Is that a correct assumption? Yes, absolutely. I believe um, that there's still six states left in the country where gassing is used and legal. I think I read, that although there's none in Illinois, technically it's, it's legal in this state, but, but I'm not quite sure. It does seem like really quite a horrific way, and I won't couch the words, to uh, take care of a problem of animal overpopulation. And of course, the better way would be, what are some things that can be done to reduce the need to uh, euthanize animals, regardless of whether it's uh, gas or some other means? Well, of course, spay neuter to get our pet population down is, you know, the number one thing that we can be doing to make sure that our pets are spayed and neutered and that as animal advocates that we're communicating with the community about spay and neuter. And then the other thing is there's wonderful rescue groups that are working with our shelter to constructively and ethically market animals and get them out there in front of the community for adoption. And if we continue down the path, I think we're going to see our numbers continue to dwindle. Well, that'd be great because, you know, I've read that it's over 5,000 dogs a day and, and many more cats that are euthanized at shelters in the United States. And that, to me, is just a, a terrible carnage. Yeah, it's very sad. We can do better. Yeah, I think so. Hey, uh, we need to take a break to hear from our sponsors. But when we return, Kim is going to share with us some of the other things she's been doing, including advocating against puppy mills. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Hi, I'm Dr. Robin Gansert, President and CEO of American Humane Association, the country's first national humane organization, here to tell you about our new show, Be Humane, on Pet Life Radio. Each week, we'll be bringing you the latest news and issues affecting our animal friends, and we'll also be bringing you interviews with Hollywood's biggest animal advocates, here to share tales about their pets and what they're doing to promote a more humane world. Our own highly experienced staff and friends 
of the organization will also join us each week to share what they're up to in the animal world. I hope you'll stop by. Until then, let's always remember to be humane. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Welcome back to Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates. I'm Keith Sanderson, and our guest today is Ken Album, North Carolina State Director of the Humane Society of the United States. Kim, I understand another very big interest of you is the puppy mill issue. Can you share with us what are some of the things that most disturb you about puppy mills? Well, puppy mills are absolutely horrific. They are facilities, commercial breeding facilities that are unscrupulous, breeding dogs, with no regard for their health or welfare. We find these animals in cramped cages, filthy conditions, with medical issues never treated by a veterinarian. You know, speaking of cramped cages, even the ones that are USDA approved as far as size, it seems like they're pretty small cages to, to keep an animal like a dog in. I mean, I guess legally that it's just big enough to turn around is essentially meets the, the measurements or the standards. Is that true? Yeah, the USDA treats, you know, treats our companion animals as if, you know, they're poultry. They're in these tiny cramped cages, and it's incredibly sad for any animal to be in that environment, but it's so heartbreaking when our companion animals that we've developed over years to be our companions are in this farmed, you know, factory farmed environment just producing puppies. It's just heartbreaking. I've seen actually where the cages are tiered, maybe two, three cages high. So the animals on the lower levels, the waste from the animals on the upper level just falls on them. You know, are those rare instances or can that be considered maybe perhaps even typical? I think that that is pretty typical in a puppy mill. But we also see animals, you know, even if the cages aren't stacked, the unsanitary conditions are really shocking. In North Carolina, we've had 16 puppy mill busts in just under three years. And we have found animals in living in mud and filth and feces and all different types of makeshift cages and kennels. It is just absolutely shocking to see how these animals live. Well, it sounds like they're almost in conditions that are worse than uh, factory farm animals. Is that true? Well, in North Carolina, there are regulations for how pigs and chickens are maintained and cows. However, there's no regulations on commercial dog breeders as they sell directly to the general public. So, yeah, farm animals have it much better than puppy mill dogs in North Carolina. So by selling directly to the general public, that would be maybe somebody who's selling on the Internet? Sure, selling on the Internet, through newspaper ads, in parking lots, at the flea market. If you want to run a puppy mill and not have to follow any rules, North Carolina is the place to be because we have no regulations and everything goes. Wow, that's amazing. And, you know, I've seen some of those Internet ads. In fact, I write online, and uh, and sometimes because of the uh, Google logarithms, I'll be writing an anti-puppy mill article, and there will be an ad, you know, buy puppies. And I'll follow the links to that ad, and they make the claim they're homebred, but uh, they'll be selling maybe... 10 different breeds and they're they always have puppies at the right age and to me that 
you know, you'd have to be an awfully big breeder to be able to do that. Right. Yeah. And responsible breeders don't have 10 and 15 breeds that they're breeding. You know, they specialize in one or two breeds. And, you know, you can go on the property, you can see the animals. And, you know, that's just not the way it is with a puppy mill. You can, you can get many different breeds and you might never see where those dogs come from. Wow. You know, many times as bad as things are at puppy mills for the puppies that are sold are relatively fortunate compared to the dogs that are kept as breeders. Can you share with us what their lives are like? Oh, yes. The poor breeder dogs live for years in these puppy mills and they never receive veterinary care. So when we finally get to go in there and bust them because it's gotten so bad that animals are suffering and dying, we're finding adult dogs with matted fur so bad that they have open wounds eye infections, ear infections, genetic disorders that have caused pain and suffering for their whole lives. Dogs that are so unsocialized are just circling in their cages because they've never known the kindness of human companionship. Well, you know, when you say circle, certain wild animals, when put in cages and zoos, will uh, eventually get a syndrome that they just circle around and around because, you know, they they can't move or do anything else. Do you see that in uh, puppy mill dogs, too, that have spent their lives in tiny little cages? Oh, of course. Imagine the boredom. Imagine what it would feel like to live in such solitary confinement that the only thing that you have to do is just walk in circles. These animals don't touch grass. They don't know what it's like to have a carpet under their feet, to hear a TV set or a doorbell. Like They don't have any concept of what it's like to be a dog. You know, this really resonates to me because as we're discussing this, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. John Pilly, the research psychologist who taught his border collie a thousand words. Sure. Well, we had him on a couple weeks ago, and, you know, I'm thinking back to that, and I'm thinking about, wow, putting an animal that is so intelligent, not only knowing, not talking about that specific dog, but dogs in general that have those capabilities and cognitive reasoning, and we're just letting them put them in little cages and keeping them there for their lives. It just doesn't seem right to me. No, it's not right, and it's just incredibly sad to think of the thousands of dogs here in North Carolina that are still waiting for rescue. And think about this. Think about the fact that pigs are actually more intelligent than dogs, and in North Carolina, we still put pigs in gestation crates to live like that as well. So, you know, extreme confinement of any animal is horrific. It just is. I mean, I think any modern-day animal psychologist would would certainly agree with that. We recently had as a guest the proprietor of a Chicago-area pet store. His name was Greg Gordon, and he used to sell commercially raised puppies, but he's gone humane and now offers only shelter animals. Do you think this can be a viable model for other pet stores that are currently selling cats and dogs? I do. I think that consumers really want to rescue dogs. And I think that animal advocates and animal welfare organizations have done a really good job of educating the general public on puppy mills and why they should consider rescuing a dog. Now, we do have one problem, and that is that we're seeing the unscrupulous puppy mills start to call themselves a rescue. So I do think that you're going to see the trend where pet stores become more successful in marketing shelter animals and rescue animals. But I would caution consumers to always make sure that even when they're going to a rescue, that they're going to a credible rescue. 
You know, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because there's a book written uh, a few years ago called Boy Blue, and it was a dog adopted in New Jersey, but the owner traced it back to a shelter in North Carolina, and there was evidence that the rescue was really, and this dog unfortunately ended up in New Jersey, but the rescue was really a front for a concern that was selling dogs for lab work. It's worthwhile to be sure of your source every time because somebody who just says, well, we're a nonprofit rescue doesn't mean they're really for good. That's correct. And that actually, that dog came from North Carolina. And I do know that case. And, you know, fortunately, it wasn't a case where animals were being sold to a lab from there, but it was a case where a rescuer was overwhelmed and had too many animals. Ah, okay. That was the case. And that's something else too, isn't it? Sometimes... People are good-hearted, but are borderline hoarders. Well, you know, social networking, Facebook, has made it so that, you know, animals can be put out in front of thousands of people in just seconds. And some of these rescue groups are marketing animals saying they're going to all die on Friday if somebody doesn't come and get them all. And, you know, this isn't all necessarily true. And unfortunately, people that would have a tendency and a a huge heart with lots of compassion, they want to run right out and get these animals. And they see them over and over and over again on Facebook. And I think that we've created an environment where we're really fostering rescue hoarders. And that is a very real disorder. Yes, I know what you mean about that because on... uh Max A. Pooch's Facebook page, I mean, it's just it's just overwhelming the number of uh, dogs, you know, that supposedly are going to be put down. And your heart goes out for every one of them. But then again, is every one of them a legitimate case or something else going on? And uh, it's really, a, you know, if you have any heart, it's really hard to, <laughs> to say no. Yeah. And, you know, the best way that we can combat all of these things is with spay-neuter and doing our our homework before we obtain a pet. If we can do those two things, we can really make it so that less animals are put in harm's way. Because right now, we have, in North Carolina, we have a serious puppy mill problem. We have a rescue hoarding problem that, you know, that's happening across the country. Just in the last couple of weeks, there's been three large-scale busts of animals found in deplorable conditions from somebody who was rescuing them. And, it, you know, it, it's just a horrible situation for an animal. And, you know, we talk about extreme confinement. <laughs> they're putting crates in places and, and they're left there until they're adopted or in, until they die. Wow. Wow. Hey, where can my listeners learn more about, first of all, the Randolph County situation and then some of the other issues we discussed today? Well, I would encourage them to visit our website at humanesociety.org where there's information on all of these topics there. And to follow what's happening with North Carolina in gas chambers, I would recommend that they visit the North Carolina Humane Society of the United States Facebook page, where we are talking about this issue and celebrating the victories of the shelters that are removing the gas chambers. Okay. And Kim, I ask all my guests this question. With all the human misery and suffering there is in the world, how can you justify spending time, money, and resources advocating for animals? We have to be their voice. The animals are voiceless and, you know, need to be responsible for them and we need to stand up for them. And every animal deserves responsible care, every animal, whether it's a working animal, a food animal or a companion animal. And that's what we need to do. We need to be their voice. 
Well, I think you're right because the human race really has a rotten record when it comes to treating either pets or domestic or wild animals with respect. So many times they've been exploited and misused and uh, treated badly. So I applaud your answer uh, because if somebody doesn't speak for them, they can't speak for themselves. Absolutely. Kim, uh, we've run out of time. I mean, it just amazes me how quickly time goes when we talk to somebody like you who is so passionate and involved in the work she does. And Max and I, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And Max A. Pooch gives you five big tail-wagging wolves for the work you and your colleagues and volunteers do at the Humane Society of the United States. Thank you so much. We want to thank you, our listeners, for spending your valuable time with us. You're all fantastic, and we hope you tell your friends about Awesome Animal Advocates. And a special thanks to Mark Winter, co-founder and executive producer of Pet Life Radio, and our sponsors for making this episode of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates possible. I'm Keith Sanderson, host and creator of Max A. Pooch's Awesome Animal Advocates, saying... Thank you to all those animal advocates who work so hard on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves. Max A. Pooch gives them five big tail-wagging woofs. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.